This is CPX 56, Grace and the Sacraments, Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, CPX, page 59 to 60, question and answer number 10 to 18. Grace is the principal effect of the sacraments. God give you his peace, and nomine patris et spiritus sancti, amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us and save us, you who are all good, amen. In nomine patris et spiritus sancti, amen. Question number 10, what is grace? Answer, grace is an inward and supernatural gift given to us without any merit of our own, but through the merits of Jesus Christ in order to gain eternal life. Number 11, how is grace distinguished? Answer, grace is divided into sanctifying grace, which is also called habitual grace and actual grace. Number 12, what is sanctifying grace? Answer, sanctifying grace is a supernatural gift inherent in our soul and rendering us just, adopted children of God and heirs to paradise. Number 13, how many kinds of sanctifying grace are there? Answer, sanctifying grace is of two kinds, first grace and second grace. Number 14, what is first grace? Answer, first grace is that by means of which one passes from the state of mortal sin to the state of justice. Number 15, and what is second grace? Second grace is an increase of first grace. Number 16, what is actual grace? Answer, actual grace is a supernatural gift which enlightens the mind and moves and strengthens the will in order to enable us to do good and avoid evil. Number 17, can we resist the grace of God? Yes, we can resist the grace of God because it does not destroy our free will. Number 18, by the aid of our own powers alone, can we do anything to gain life eternal? Answer, without the help of the grace of God and by our own powers alone, we cannot do anything helpful to life everlasting. Thus are the words of the Holy Pope. Now just a quick clarification, number 12 was this, what is sanctifying grace? Sanctifying grace is a supernatural gift inherent in our soul. Now, the Pope does not mean it's inherent at birth. He means it's inherent at baptism. I don't know why it sounded like a Southerner there. Means it's inherent not in us naturally, but it's inherent supernaturally after baptism, just to clarify that right there. Okay, there's a question I want you to ask yourselves. Can an unbaptized person who is a non-Christian receive graces from God? Can an unbaptized person who is a non-Christian receive graces from God? Now, I probably would have answered no for a good chunk of my life because, well, here is my thinking. Baptism gives us sanctifying grace, and that starts the life of grace, so clearly those unbaptized don't get graces. Now, it's not that I thought God was stingy in calling pagans to his salvific mission. Clearly, every one of us, white, black, Asian, South American, wherever you're from, your ancestors were pagans. And now we have two billion Christians on the planet, one billion of them are Catholics, Clearly, God is bringing many tribes who were not Jews into the Catholic faith. In fact, all the Jews that he chose in the first century also were unbaptized at one point. So again, it's not that I thought God was stingy in calling pagans, Gentiles, and Jews to his salvific, salvific mission. It's just that I kind of, well, pigeonholed all grace into that term sanctifying grace. Now, what is true about what I had basically believed for part of my priesthood is this. It is true that baptism did begin your life of sanctifying grace. That is called first grace, as we just heard today. First grace is where you pass from a state of sin to a state of justice or state of grace. Now, once you're in sanctifying grace, and normally that happens by baptism, you can have increases in grace 
which Pope St. Pius X called today second grace, or I think we could call them second graces. But back to that tough question, can an unbaptized non-Christian receive graces? In other words, can God shower a pagan with graces even before that pagan turns to Christ? The answer is yes. St. Augustine calls this prevenient grace, which basically means preemptive grace. Listen briefly to his work on grace and free will. He wrote on grace and free will around the year 426 AD. This is what he says. We love him because he first loved us, 1 John 4.19. For if we first loved him in order that by this merit he might love us, then we first chose him that we might deserve to be chosen by him. He, however, who is truth says otherwise and flatly contradicts this vain conceit of men. You have not chosen me, he says. If therefore you have not chosen me, undoubtedly you have not loved me, for how could they choose one whom they did not love? But I, says he, have chosen you. And then could they possibly help choosing him afterwards and preferring him to all the blessings of this world? But it was because they had been chosen that they chose him not because they chose him that they were chosen. There could be no merit in men's choice of Christ if it were not that God's grace was prevenient in his choosing them. Okay, so there's that word prevenient. And notice when St. Augustine says they, he means bad pagans like who? Like himself, who did make it to the saving waters of baptism. But notice his whole point here is that it was because they, the pagans like himself, they had been chosen that they could then choose Christ, not because they chose him that they were chosen. Again, there could be no merit in men's choice of Christ if it were not that God's grace was prevenient, preemptive, in choosing them, choosing them first. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody who, say, studies world religions for years and then comes to this intellectual conclusion to be a Christian, that doesn't mean that person avoided grace or that that person chose God before God chose him. I mean, what caused him to have a hunger for the truth of studying world religions? Probably God, at least if it was not just, say, a selfish studying of world religions, but fired with a real search for the truth. Now, there's another problem here, at least how this line from St. Augustine has been interpreted. Some Protestant sects use St. Augustine's teaching on prevenient grace to basically doubt free will. Of course, the Catholic Church has never interpreted it as that. The fact is, we all have free will to accept Jesus and be saved or reject him and be damned. The Pope wrote in number 17 today, question, can we resist the grace of God? Answer, yes, we can resist the grace of God because it does not destroy our free will. Okay, so one last return to that question on unbaptized receiving graces. An unbaptized person can receive what St. Augustine called prevenient grace even before entering sanctifying grace at baptism. And how does one enter sanctifying grace? Again, either by baptism or on more rare occasions via baptism by blood if you die a martyr before you're baptized, or even on some rare occasions what we call implicit desire of baptism or perfect contrition. That's getting into the weeds of some deep theology. I wrote a blog post on that recently if you want to see the details on it, but we're not going to go into that today. People have spent 75 years on loopholes. We should talk about the basics of salvation today. Yeah, the fact is we have to stop relying on loopholes of these odd ways of salvation and consider the four points of the common way of salvation and you got to do all four of these generally to be saved. One, accept Christ as Savior and God and friend. Accept Christ as Savior and God and friend. Two, get baptized. 
Three, go to confession if you commit a mortal sin after baptism. And yes, all sins against the sixth and the ninth commandment are usually mortal. And four, the holy reception of the Eucharist is usually required for salvation after baptism and usually confession, since our Lord himself tied salvation to the Eucharist. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. That was St. John chapter 6, verses 53 to 56. Okay, anything else to be saved? Well, yes, after receiving the grace of God in baptism and confession, you have to remember we will be judged at the end of our lives on how we treated the most vulnerable of our society, as you can read in Matthew 25. But remember this today, supernatural faith in the gospel, faith in Christ, faith in, faith in everything that he teaches, that gift of supernatural faith is a gift. And normally for adults, that precedes baptism. And of course, it precedes good works, at least meritorious good works, because it's a grace, it's a gift. And what is grace? Well, we heard the definition today in number 10. Grace is an inward and supernatural gift given to us without any merit of our own, but through the merits of Jesus Christ in order to gain eternal life. That one might be worth memorizing. Number 10 from your catechism today. Again, grace is an inward and supernatural gift given to us without any merit of our own, but through the merits of Jesus Christ in order to gain eternal life. So notice right there that we Catholics do not believe that we pull ourselves up to heaven by our own bootstraps. But again, we will be judged on how we treat the most poor and vulnerable in our societies, you see in Matthew 25. And if we have loved those hardest to love, namely your families. It's often harder to love your spouse than the quiet guy who comes walking into a soup kitchen. But again, today isn't about works as much as it is about the gift of faith, which can be prevenient. And the gift of supernatural faith is the portal to all supernatural hope and all supernatural charity, which fires our love of those around us and God. So this is why faith is the number one gift you should pray for into the lives of everybody that you love and into the lives of all your enemies. Okay, let's talk briefly about that difference between actual grace and sanctifying grace, because in some sense that was the main point today. What is the difference between actual grace and sanctifying grace? Well, I like what Dr. Taylor Marshall put on his website on this, and it elucidates today's lesson from the CPX. So let's just close this podcast by reading part of that blog here from Taylor. This is what he says on first actual grace. Actual grace is the supernatural assistance of God for salutary acts granted in consideration of the merits of Christ. Actual grace is called actual because it refers to direct acts of God. Actual grace refers to a special help that God may give for a moment or certain act. Actual grace in Latin is gratia gratis data or grace freely given. You might think of actual graces as zaps from God that enable someone to do something salutary. They are graces or charismata, acts of prophecy, tongues, healings, miracles, even the priest's ability to absolve sinners in confession or confect the blessed sacrament are accomplished by actual grace. The initial grace of God given to a sinner to be able to repent and trust in Christ is also called an actual grace. Again, think of zaps. Sanctifying or habitual grace. For the most part, Protestants reject the formal Catholic doctrine of habitual or sanctifying grace. This kind of grace is called habitual grace on account of the Latin word abere, 
meaning to have or possess. It is the kind of grace possessed in the soul of the redeemed Christian. It is also called sanctifying grace because it brings life to the soul and allows the will to conform a person to the holiness of Christ. It is called deifying grace because its presence in the life of a believer allows for the presence of eternal divine life of the Blessed Trinity to dwell in the soul. When you hear a Catholic speak of being in a state of grace, they are referring to being in a state of habitual or sanctifying grace. According to Catholic theology, if you die with habitual or sanctifying grace in your soul, you are saved and not damned. Finally, how do you receive sanctifying grace? St. Paul refers to habitual or sanctifying grace in Galatians 5.4. It is also the new man of which Paul speaks in Ephesians 4.24. St. John calls it the abiding seed of God, 1 John 3.9, that dwells in the Christian. Habitual or sanctifying grace is the grace we receive when we are born again and become sons of God by a divine adoption or filiation. It is received by faith in baptism and it can be lost through mortal sin. Once lost through mortal sin, it is restored through sacramental confession. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio Dei omnipotentis, Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Santi, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen.